pain that someone placed on your spirit yesterday should not be the reason for a darkened spirit today. Those who seek to love you to light shouldn't be made to suffer due to those who came to you broken and left you bleeding from their pain. Don't live your life in bitterness. Choose today to be happy beyond the pain, joy-filled beyond the past. Live for today. Spending a life looking in the rear view will lead to a lifetime of head-on collisions with sorrow and with the happiness that remains on life support. Love yourself first. Message to the minority. And now, let's get healed. Welcome to The Healing Space, a black and queer mental health podcast geared toward proving there's more than one way to heal. I am your host, Sensei Raven Ekundayo. So what's up, Misfits? This has been uh, a very interesting week. <laughs> uh, the past couple of weeks actually have been some serious ups and downs for me. Uh, really wonderful highs, some pretty serious lows, but... I'm still standing, and that plays a big part in what this episode is about. Today is April 15th, and it makes exactly two years since I first moved to Atlanta. I moved here on April 15th, 2017, and it's crazy to think that I've been here for two years. Uh, Some of my friends say they felt like it's been longer. Uh, For me, I don't know. Time has just kind of gone Uh, I explained to everyone that it doesn't feel like when I lived in New York. When I lived in New York, it just, I always felt like I was in a dream, you know? Like, I live in New York. Oh my God. Every morning I would wake up. It didn't matter where I lived, you know? I started out in Union City, New Jersey, and then I was in uh, South Bronx, and then my last borough that I lived in was Brooklyn. And like it didn't matter where every morning I woke up it was always like wow I live in New York no disrespect to New Jersey but <laughs> even living in Union City I'd be like wow I live in New York <laughs> but uh Atlanta's different and it's gonna sound funny to say it but Atlanta feels like home you know and that's no knock toward New York because New York was always my dream place to live but Something about Atlanta just feels very natural, you know? It feels very get up in the morning, do what you need to do, come home. Like, while New York always felt like at any point in time the dream could end, Atlanta feels very much like home to me. So for this episode, I'm going to talk about that. Uh, Because out of every episode that our misfits could have said they wanted for us to talk about when bhw and i celebrated our one year anniversary last year we asked everyone live on instagram and on facebook and on youtube as well i believe what they wanted us to uh cover in the next year and the major topic that people wanted to discuss or wanted me to discuss uh was my journey Uh, and living in Atlanta and all of the ups and downs that came along with it because some thought that it could be inspirational to someone else who's going through it. So that's what I'm going to do. 
Uh, later on in the show, I'm going to talk about my journey and how I didn't let fear take over. But that's later on in the show. Right now, we're going to tackle weekends, which are very quick. <laughs> my weekend was very quick. And then we can get right into the culture of pop. Uh, my weekend was filled with a lot of rest. Uh, as you guys know who listen to the podcast often, you know, on Fridays, that's barbershop day. Every Friday, I'm going to be in the barbershop. So I knock that out. And then after that, was that it? Lord, I'm going to feel so horrible if anything else happened. <laughs> Did I go anywhere after that? No, I think that was it. I think I went to the barbershop and then I came home. Uh, Saturday, as always, was lots of yoga. Uh, one of my students uh, had to sit out for the month of April. So that's my 9 a.m. class that I usually teach. So I taught from 10 a.m. until 2.30 p.m. And yeah, those classes went quickly, but I love it because this is endurance month. Every other month is endurance month. And my students hate endurance month. <laughs> but I love it because I feel like it makes them better students, you know? Uh, I, I push them and I push them hard, but the beauty is you guys hear me talk about Tay often on the show. He's one of my yoga students. Uh, I've been challenging, uh, two per two of my, two per asana. So with each of my students, I have a different student who I pair them with not together though, which maybe I should do that. <laughs> maybe I should have them like talk to each other, but they each, uh, two of them get one asana to practice, one that's harder than the other ones that I've been showing them. So for Tay, I paired him with another one of my students. Her name's Annie. And I challenged them to do eight angle pose. If you don't know what it is, pull it up on Google and uh, get a look. But Tay came into his eight angle and I think he may have attempted to do it like maybe two or three times, like just seeing how he could properly balance himself. But I told him when I saw him rise into it, I said, your posture and the way you held your body was completely on point. And that's why I figured he was going to get the pose. Because a lot of times with these poses, you can see where a person's hands aren't in the right place or they don't seem very sure of holding themselves. But everything about what he was doing going into this pose looked correct. So I said, if you can just trust your wrists enough to stay up, you've got it. And sure enough, he did. And it blew my mind <laughs> because I was like, wait, no one's been able to get the, the pose that I've given them for their challenge. So that was uh, that was awesome. That was really awesome. So I moved him on to uh, Ekapada Kundinyasana, which I call EPK. And I moved him on to that because some of the more advanced students who I've been teaching for years, that's the pose that they're on. And uh, everyone struggles with EPK. And he did as well. I told him, I was like, are you really about to blow my mind and get this pose today? <laughs> so he was halfway there because he was able to balance himself. However, the, uh, the purpose of EPK, one of the beauties of it, is the balance in it. And being able to hold yourself, uh, what is it? What's the, the phrase that I'm going for? Everything is parallel, what I'm going for? Parallel straight across? Uh, and his leg, the leg that sticks out in EPK was pretty much going up toward the ceiling. And I was like, no, you need to bring it down so it's lined up with the rest of your body. So he struggled with that. <laughs> so I told him, I was like, and there we go. Therein lies the challenge. So that's what you have to work toward. But uh, I wanted to shout him out and all of my students because they're enduring. And endurance month is not easy. 
So every other month when it comes around, I'm always like, you guys are going to hate me, but your bodies are going to thank me. So that was Saturday. And uh, after that, I just chilled for the rest of the day, which I never get to do. My weekdays, my weekends are always very, very busy. So I loved that I was just able to kind of chill. And this past week, I've been sleeping a lot. Like, I feel like my body was just like, nah, dude, lay down. So I ended up taking a really long nap on Saturday. Unfortunately, it made me uh, want to stay up really late into Sunday morning. And I went to sleep around 6 (laughs) a.m. Because I just couldn't get back to sleep again. Uh, So that was hilarious. Uh, Sunday, I ended up having to cancel uh, Yoga on the Mountain because there ended up being a, uh, a storm and it rained a lot throughout the day. The sun ended up coming out again, but ended up raining again later on. So uh, my students and I all agreed that we would just get back together again later in the month. So that was my weekend. That was my weekend uh, because for the rest of Sunday, I just I went grocery shopping and I uh, so it's grocery shopping and what else did I do? Caught up on some shows. I finally started watching Sabrina because I feel like I'm super behind. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there are just way too many shows I need to be watching. And everyone's watching them and everyone's catching up but me. So it becomes this very interesting balancing act of I want to make sure I'm watching all of my shows, but I really need to get my face in a book again as I look over at all of my books on my bookshelf. <laughs> like I really need to get my face into a book and read. So that's... uh. That's another journey I'm going through right now. But in speaking of the chilling adventures of Sabrina, we now flow into the culture of pop. So I want to go ahead and just address something that I wanted to talk about for a while uh, after it took place. Of course, we didn't have an episode last week, but I wanted to I wanted to touch on it. But I also felt like it may have been a little too soon. And that was the uh, the death of Nipsey Hussle. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I want to talk about a little, a few things and well, not a few things, more so one specific thing. It's I have paused because I appreciate that I have listeners, both uh, cis hetero and queer who are uh, fans and supporters of his. And I want to be very careful of what I say, because I respect that, you know, uh, And I understand that he did a lot of great things for the black community. So I'm not speaking out against that either. However, at day's end, this is a black and queer mental health podcast. Open to everyone, yes. But I need to make sure that I'm showing up for my queer brothers and sisters, for my trans brothers and sisters, for my non-binary brothers and sisters. And I need to make comment on an issue when it comes to cis hetero men and their issues with queer men you know uh specifically cis homosexual men uh and the the issue with nipsey hustle and you know uh peace and love to the dead but there was a problem and unfortunately by the time he passed he wasn't able to remedy that issue for those who are supporters of his Now, I don't know in his personal life how he died. And um, and when I say how he he was killed, six bullets, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about 
his views on homosexuality by the time he died. I don't know if his family knew that he didn't still feel the same as when he was, you know, speaking in uh, an Instagram post and tweets that he put out or if he thought the exact same thing. But I wanted to speak on the dangers of speaking out in the way that he did in the way that people move with what you said after that. Because, again, as I state often, we live in a world of majority lemmings, you know, leaders are few and far between people who actually think for themselves are few and far between more often than not. People want to be led. People want to be told what to do, which is the reason why we have the existence of celebrity in the first place with a lot of folk. Um, their, their celebrity comes from a bunch of people who just want to be guided and told where to go. And, so the, the truth is, I knew very little about this man other than his name and uh, his issues with homosexuality. And once he passed away, you would have thought that this brother was mega famous. People who I'd never heard even talk about him were all about Nipsey Hussle. And that was like, intriguing. Okay. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, my feelings that I felt were justified. So I went back and found the, uh, the Instagram and the tweets that followed just so I could make sure. And before I go into reading exactly what was said, I want to make clear what my issue is. My issue is, is that we speak of how we want the, the black community to be whole, how as black people, we need to come together over white supremacy. However, after you state that, you pick and choose what communities within black culture that you want to stand on the front line against said white supremacy. And that's not what black love truly looks like. That's not what true community as black people looks like. You can't pick and choose, you know, you can't make a decision that we're going to go out here and we're going to fight to make this a better world for black people. And then say, we're going to exclude queer people. We're going to exclude you know, trans people no longer have a seat at the table or never did. You know, we don't even understand what non-binary means. You don't get to sit here with us. And it's like, but you're getting rid of very important people in this fight. And so it, it bothered me a little, if I can be completely honest, by how many queer people I saw posting things about him. Because I have absolutely no problem with showing love towards his brother, especially because they say he gave so much back to the community. But I also think it's important to ask questions. And if you're posting things about him as a queer person, are you posting it because everyone else is doing it? Do you know how he felt about you? You know, and this isn't a situation where we have to leave it alone because he died. Now, me, I myself felt like it was in bad taste to speak on these things literally less than 24 hours after he passed. I do think that that was inappropriate. That's my personal opinion. I believe if the man isn't even in the ground yet, why are we having these conversations? At least, I don't know. For me, it's balanced at all times. I, I'm always respectful. My thing is, is that I have no need to look like those who oppose me on the opposite side. So he passed away. One, I've heard he's done amazing things for the community. Two, he has a family and who knows how many of them didn't agree with his stance on these things. So why am I attacking him literally when his body is still warm so that that wasn't that wasn't my thing 
Uh, however, I do feel like it's necessary for us to have these conversations because who knows how many people may think the same way he thinks. And if they have an opportunity to hear our side of things, they may think differently. You know, it may give them an opportunity to think for themselves and to open their mind and wake up. So first, I'm going to read his Instagram and his Instagram stated demonstrate oh, and let me preface this by stating that it was a picture of a, a bunch of i guess you would say well-dressed gentlemen uh in suits i believe they were young brothers and it said demonstration speaks louder than conversation they gonna feed us every image of men and boys but this one no hyperviolent, no homosexual no abandoners just strong black men and young men yeah says god is with us who can go against us so yeah <laughs> first of all if i can be completely honest when i got to the bottom of it and i saw god i was like here we go okay okay people will always find a way to use god in a way of damning anyone who is uh queer uh in any way and so i thought that was interesting i was like okay i see the direction we're about to go with this one got you but then, isn't it always interesting when you have conversations with people and they find a way to lump in queerness with all types of crimes, you know? And you're sitting there and you're like, but wait, <laughs> my life, my life is equal to hyperviolence or men who abandon their kids? Really? You know? Or, or when you hear people make comments like, you know, uh, people rob, people steal, all of these kind of things. I don't judge them. So why would I judge gay people? Is that supposed to make me feel better? Like, like do you, you do realize what you're comparing me to, right? You know? So there were quite a few people who came out against Nipsey after he stated this. And so he decided he was going to come back and defend himself. And that he, uh, let me make sure I'm reading this correctly. He explained he intended for this caption to list three qualities that are overrepresented in the mainstream media's narrative of what a black man is. And then he also, uh, he also made comments about people calling him homophobic. And he said, I have no opinion about what a person's sexual preference is. That's their, they, excuse me, that's they God given right. And I'm not God. And I don't look down on gay people. I love all God's children. Okay. Now, for those of you who are not queer, who are listening to this, you not walking in our shoes probably don't understand this. But what he used just now is what we would call bullshit. And I'll explain why. People use that as kind of a scapegoat way of being able to get out of their homophobia or their blatant ignorance. And they say, it's not up to me. It's up to God, you know? So the first thing I want to say, and I don't want to delve too deep down this rabbit hole, but what if you are someone who one is not religious or two doesn't believe in God? I've always found that very perplexing when people attempt to damn you or put you in some very interesting box with their religion or their beliefs and you don't subscribe to those beliefs. We unfortunately live in a society where the majority state that this is what things are. However, we have far too many people, young and old, who don't pause to understand their own power 
a person is damning you off of their beliefs, not yours. If you don't believe in God, you're absolutely fine. One. Two, if you do believe in God and you know your personal and strong relationship and connection to God, you're still okay. And this is where owning your truth and truly walking in your purpose becomes so important. Because you'll have people like this come along and they'll talk about how you're ruining a community, how you're messing up neighborhoods, how you're damned. But this is for you to take on when they say it to you. If this is bullshit the minute it comes out of their mouths and you hear it from your ears, then that's it. It's bullshit. You know and love yourself well enough to understand your walk with God or lack thereof. This is why I speak of why self-love is so important. And the reason why when people like uh, Nipsey come along and say what they say, it's so troublesome. Because they have lots of people who follow them. And their whole thing is he does good for a specific group of people within our black community. So for them, it's enough. You know, we are not included in the number. So because of that, when the praise happens, there's no need to speak of groups that he's leaving out. I was paying attention to a lot of media when he passed away. And one thing that really rubbed me the wrong way was listening to The Breakfast Club. I had stopped listening to them for a really, really long time, especially after they disrespected Janet Mock. But I allowed myself to go back because oftentimes I just want to be able to. It's important to study people, you know. So I go back and I listen to some of their conversations sometimes. And Charlemagne was talking about uh, Nipsey. And he stated that Nipsey was only peace. He And I think he may have said he's the only person that he knew, you know, that he was just positivity. I'm sorry, not peace, positivity. I'm still not quoting him verbatim. But he said this brother was only positivity. It, that's all. Complete positivity. And he kept stressing that he was only positivity. I am not even only positivity. So that's how I'm like, no, that's BS. Like there is no human being that's only positivity. When I uh, I had one of my friends, um, a cis hetero brother, played me some of Nipsey's music from his latest project. And I was like, huh? Like, <laughs> is, is this positive? Like... If that was very, it was, it was confusing. It was, it was very, very confusing. And it's one of those ones where it's kind of like, are people like purposely covering their eyes and, you know, closing their ears and just walking. And they're like, okay, I'm going to walk in all of this praise that we're giving this brother. Again, I'm not downing him. I'm making sure to state that whatever it is that he's done for the black community in a positive way, it's greatly appreciated. However, you can't, in one hand give back to the community while using a knife to stab another group or to not get that violent put your palm up to where their face and mush them away you're not included you know you can't do that you can't do that especially if these group of people haven't done anything to warrant you doing that if they're simply living their lives so we go back to deray mckesson deray came out and he spoke against Nipsey, or at the very least questioned why it was that he said what he said. So DeRay put, uh, this is on Twitter, you listed three qualities as equally negative, violent, gay, and abandoner, and as the opposite of strong. What made you assume everyone in the picture was straight? 
Are you saying that to be against homophobia is to succumb to the mainstream media? Nipsey responded and he said, DeRay, I used my platform to publicize an example of the less represented image of our men and boys and the quote unquote mainstream media in the form of anti-homophobia. Wait a minute. In the form of anti-homophobia gets offended. You know, that reinforces my original point, bro. So I, I looked at this and I'm just saying to myself, I've known people like Nipsey. I have. I've known brothers in my community who seemed very well-intentioned, very knowledgeable. You know, I've listened to how many different artists have talked about how much they've learned from Nipsey. And I can believe that to be very, very true, you know? However, because of said knowledge, because of the way that he carried himself, because of, as people said, you know, he's been this reformed person and everything who he used to be and where he is now, he is an inspiration to many. But that also means that because of what it is he's been through and because of the way that people view him, he can say a whole lot and not be held accountable if it's not directly against what people perceive to be just the black community. Now, you know, it's not black community and then under the tier of black community, you begin to look at the other communities under that. That's not what people were worried about, you know. Again, we're not counted in the number. So when he begins to talk about how important it is to watch out for the black man and to make sure that there that we are, you know, represented in a certain way, we are not counted because for some reason in his mind and in the minds of many, anything that comes even close to homosexuality is wrong. But as I always state, that becomes a conversation about disrespect of women as well. And that's when people get a little confused. But you have to understand that your issue with homosexual men is your idea that across the board, gay means feminine. That's the beginning, you know. Of course, this isn't true. There are lots of uh, same gender loving men who are not feminine at all. However, that's not the point because there's nothing wrong with femininity. So the question becomes, what is your issue with femininity? What is your problem with softness? Because you see it in men and it bothers you. So we have to understand the disrespect for women when it comes to that. Because if you see queer men as inferior, then clearly that means that that's the same way you see women. The problem is that there are lots of women who perpetuate these stereotypes. These ideas that women are less than. They've been taught it and they walk with it. He is the head of household. The idea of you being house, head of household is blasphemous. And you'll argue someone down about it. And so no, softness is supposed to be something that's strictly feminine because they are subservient to man. So the fact that you are a man and you are soft in any way shows that you're going to be subservient to the white man. And what purpose can you possibly have in our war against the white agenda if that is the case? And this is where we go to Dr. Frances Cress Welsing. When I was younger, I read a book by her called The Isis Papers. It came out in 1991. No, that is not when I read it. <laughs> I read it some years later, I think right before I went to college. And it was an interesting read, 
by that point I was already out but I had so many you know we didn't have names for them then like hotep is supposed to be a good word um <laughs> but so many good terms have now become negative uh being woke is now negative because for some reason people are too freaking wide awake um then sadly that's a thing and also hoteps that's no longer a positive thing but yeah there were those people back then who kept telling me over and over again i think it may have been because i had locks um but they're telling me that i need to read the isis papers you know open your mind brother open your mind and I read it, and as I'm reading this thing, I'm like, okay, so she's uh, big on phallic symbols, that's for sure. And uh, the gun is kind of, you know, like the penis and all of these things. And then the idea of homosexuality being something that was put on us by white people. And oh, the amount of supposed black intellectuals who love themselves some ISIS papers. And I'm like, okay, so if you love ISIS papers and if you respect Dr. Uh, Welsing, then clearly that means that you believe a lot of this absolute bullshit that she's saying when it comes to homosexuality. And so you bring it back around to Nipsey. And when I first saw that he was saying these kind of things, all I kept thinking to myself is you can be absolutely certain that he is a student of Welsing. And that is a problem. And, you know, there were lots of people back then who said that they believed that a lot of the things that she said were misogynistic. And I think to where we are now and the fact that in 2019, you would believe that in a lot of instances, we're beyond this. However, you watch as so many people have raised up Nipsey. And still, you know, even today, if I was to go onto Instagram or Facebook, I would see his face all over the place. That's a positive as far as the beauty of raising up a black man who was killed. You know, he was killed. He didn't die of natural causes. He was literally shot to death. So it's beautiful that black people are raising him up. However, however, what ideals, what thoughts that Nipsey had are going to now stay with people and are going to force them to move in the exact same, exact same excuse me, direction that he was moving in? If he believed that queer people were a problem, were those who follow him now going to perpetuate the exact same ignorant way of thinking? This is why I wanted to bring this up. Because it is important for us to remember that no matter what good he did for the black community, there's a possibility that he dug a hole even deeper dividing communities within it. And that's just some real shit that we're going to have to own. You can love him by all means, but none of us are perfect and we have to be willing to hold all of our feet to the fire. Plain and simple. Okay. So <laughs> from there, I'm going to move on. It seems so funny. Like, should that even be a transition? I felt like that should have been uh, a brief healing all by itself. Um, but it gets much lighter after that. So we're going to move on really quick to Disney+. Plus. So this past week, they unveiled finally Disney Plus and what the interface and everything is going to look like. Disney Plus is going to be Disney's new streaming service, very much in the vein of Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime. So Disney Plus comes out on November 12th. It's going to be a great birthday present for me, month of November. Um, and I've already made it very clear I'm getting it. Uh, and I can't wait. I can't wait because I don't think I realize just how much I love from Disney 
until I thought about an entire streaming platform full of their stuff. First of all, uh, pretty much all of my DVDs are still in Maryland. So I have not seen Monsters, Inc. in years. I haven't seen, I think it was called Monster University. Only time I saw that was in theaters. And I laughed so hard at Monster University that I actually cried when I saw it in theaters. So I've missed watching that movie and I want to see it again. So, you know, films like that, you know, and so much more. I mean, think of Marvel, all the Marvel, Marvel excuse me, films that are going to be on there. Uh, they have so much original content that's going to be on there as well. Several of the Marvel characters like Winter Soldier and Falcon are going to have a show and uh, the Scarlet Witch and Vision are going to have a show and Loki's going to have a show. So that's some of the Marvel original content. But all of the Marvel movies will be on there. They've already stated that by the time it comes out, of course, Endgame will be on there as well. Uh, just a lot of really cool stuff. I never watched Phineas and Ferb, is that the name of it? But they said that they're going to have a new movie specifically for the streaming service for any of you who liked that show. And I just think it's going to be really cool. I really do. Um, for a lot of these streaming services, I've been like, do we really need another one? Seriously? That is not how I feel about this one. I'm actually excited, uh, which I don't need to be because, again, I need my face in a book. <laughs> I feel like for the past, I don't know, I feel like since I've moved to Atlanta, I've just been so stuck on television. I don't know what it is. There's just way too many options, way too many shows, way too many. And I feel like I need to make a conscious decision that on certain days, I just don't turn the TV on. Uh, yeah, because I'm not even a cable person. Like everything I watch is through streaming or like uh, friends and family who have, you know, like if they have uh, Dish or DirecTV or Xfinity, they let me have their password and literally on their apps, you can just watch live television. So I, my TV isn't for regular television anymore. It's so funny how that works out. But uh, yeah, books. <laughs> I cannot stress that enough. If you're listening to this right now, Misfits, read a book. Um, but yeah, Disney Plus, November 12th. Uh, the minute it becomes available, I'm already ordering it. Uh, okay, and then Queer Eye. I don't remember on the last episode with Manny how much detail I went into because I read over my notes for the last episode with Manny on it. Uh, and I saw that I put Queer Eye. I don't know if we decided not to speak on it or if I just spoke lightly. I'm still going to keep it light, but I know that what I'm about to say now I didn't say previously, which is it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter at all. Like, I mean, when it comes to race, sexual identity, none of that. Like, Queer Eye is a beautiful series to watch. It really is. I personally can't find one negative thing about it. Uh, of course, there are people in this world who can find something negative about pretty much anything. The same way I can make a positive out of literally anything a person tells me. Uh, and people have tested that before. <laughs> people have told me some really dark stuff. And I can make a positive out of it. There, there is a lesson and a blessing that can come out of any situation. I've yet to be proven wrong about that. But anyway, on the flip side, there are people who can actually do the exact same thing with negativity. Um, so people will find something negative about Queer Eye. But I think that it's very inspirational. I think it says a lot about the world that we live in 
And even if for any reason they do pick and choose these people, meaning that they don't just go willy nilly into some random white person's home or, you know, Asian person or uh, black person. Like if these people are vetted and it's like, OK, well, this is a cool person who, you know, they're, they've already said they're going to like queer people. We're fine. Even if that's the case, the truth is they still had to go out and find these people, you know. So to know that these people do exist in this country feels good it feels good to know that you can sit down and have conversations with people who may have different political views religious views and when you all get to know each other you see you are a good person if we could just push past these ideologies you know if we could just find a way to exist peacefully without these these things can destroy the lives of lives excuse me of others what a world this would be. And I think that that show really gives hope to that. It really, really gives hope. And so I'm sending a lot of love and light. I don't know if Karamo or any of the other brothers from the show are, will ever hear the healing space. But if they do, I want them to know that I greatly appreciate, and Netflix, I greatly appreciate them creating a show that speaks so much love and light into the world. We exist in a society that is so just, I don't know, neck deep in negativity to the point where most people are online just so that they can be a part of that. There are so few people who are looking for light. They're looking for love. We are spaced out, spaced out all across. <laughs> it seems like those who would much rather dwell in the muck and mire of sadness, they're the ones who rule. So for a show like this to exist and to continuously get seasons is a blessing. It's needed. And I pray that they keep going. Shoot, I want Queer Eye to go for as long as possible. Go ahead and get up to those uh, <laughs> Grey's Anatomy numbers. <laughs> I'm sure several of them will move on by that point. But it's just a really, it's a really, really, really great series on Netflix. So definitely make sure you check it out. Okay, so quick spoiler-free review of Shazam. And I mean quick. Shazam, I thought, was just okay. Uh, I continue to think that a lot of the uh, DC movies are just okay. I have not seen Aquaman, and everyone tells me that it was really good. Uh, so far, Wonder Woman remains my favorite of all of the movies. Uh, so I guess I need to see Aquaman, because I haven't heard anything negative about it yet. So I'm gathering that it was good. But Shazam was just okay. Uh, there is a certain point in the film where I really got into it. And I was like, of course, they couldn't have made this at the beginning of the movie. But if they did, I probably would have been into the film literally from start to finish. Like something that happens in the film, if it would have happened at the beginning, I it, it may it may have equaled Wonder Woman as far as my favorite, uh, because that's just how much I loved when it took place. But because it didn't happen until the third act, it was kind of like, eh, eh. <laughs> so is the movie something that i would watch again once it's on streaming i honestly don't know like that's just how okay it was i don't regret seeing it not at all but it was all right i don't know it was funny i definitely had some some moments where i laughed but it was just okay i'm glad they made it into a comedy i thought it fit very well that way uh, if it would have been more serious i don't think i would have liked it but just okay yeah so if you decide to see it uh you may feel differently you may end up really liking it you may not like it at all you may feel like me that it was just okay 
And lastly, this week I'm posting something uh, that I should have posted a week ago. Um, a new episode of A Brief Healing, where I'm going to be talking about WrestleMania. So for all of my misfits out there who enjoy listening to my brief healings about wrestling, I have another one. Uh, this one absolutely will be only about 15 minutes, and it's because I'm not going to talk about all of WrestleMania. I kind of want to hit on the importance of Kofi Kingston becoming the new WWE champion. And... The argument that people make about him being the first African-American WWE champion. Because, of course, the argument is made that The Rock was the first WWE champion. However, there are those who oppose it and say that, no, he's half Samoan and half African-American. Kofi is Ghanaian. So, (laughs) they're like, no, he truly is the first African-American WWE champion. So I want to get into that conversation on the brief healing. So make sure you check that out later this week, uh, a brief healing where I cover uh, the history that was made at WrestleMania. And so that is all for culture of pop. We are now going to go into my two year journey here in Atlanta and why it's important to say fuck fear. We'll be right back. Before I made my move to Atlanta, my father informed me that he wished that he could be more like me. He said that he admired and deeply respected the fact that I didn't give in to fear. That in more than one instance in my life, I got tired of where I was. I picked up and I moved. And he wished that he could live a life like that. A life where he was more free and wasn't afraid. I told my father that he'll never know how much that meant to me to hear him say that. And he said it to me multiple times, even after my move. How proud he is of me for not caving into fear. For knowing that there was more out there for me. And for going on it and leaving. When you all shared with me that more than any other episode you wanted us to cover in the next year, you wanted to hear about my journey during my time here in Atlanta, that touched me. If you go back and watch the live, you'll see that it genuinely caught me off guard. That This is what you guys wanted me to talk about the most. So even though the anniversary was back in September, I hadn't recorded it. I told myself I was going to wait until the right time. And then we made our way back around to today, the actual two-year anniversary of my move. And I was like, okay, well, (laughs) there's no better time to do it than now. So I wanted to first start with my reason for moving. And I pray that what I've gone through can inspire you, whether you've already made the move, if you're thinking of making the move, or if you are in a lot of the same situations that I've gone through since moving. I pray that this inspires you in some way. My reason for moving is because I needed a change. That was the major thing. I had moved back to Baltimore from New York two years prior. And I knew that Baltimore really wasn't for me anymore. But several of my friends shared with me, you know, since I was coming back to Baltimore, make the most of it. And I did. You know, I heightened my yoga practice. I deepened my meditation teachings. I ended up uh, becoming a uh, 
I was certified in Reiki, excuse me. And I don't know, things were really, really looking up, really looking up. Uh, I had a good job. I had uh, a great apartment. I had amazing credit. (laughs) I had reached the point once again where I didn't even have to pay attention to any of my bank accounts. Like money was amazing. I I was living a really good life. I was also living a very comfortable life. And I'm not a big fan of comfort. And I've had a few people challenge me on that word. And they made some good points. I can definitely understand it. However, for me, when I think of the word comfort, it always makes me think of being still and being satisfied. And that's not me. I do believe stillness can be very important. I actually practiced quite a bit of it this past weekend. However, I can't be satisfied with things because I feel like life ends there. And I don't feel like I'm anywhere near complete with what it is that I have in store for me for life. Uh, So Atlanta was always my second choice of a city that I would move to. And I had started coming down to Atlanta during the summer of 2000. One of my friends was, uh, or was it the, was it the summer? Yeah, 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 yeah. He was already in school. Okay, okay. Um, I was like, let me make sure I have these, uh, these years right. One of my friends was already at Clark, uh, Clark Atlanta University, or was it college? One of the two. Um, and I decided, forgive me for anyone who graduated from Clark, um, but I decided I wanted to come down and I wanted to stay with him for a summer. I'd never been to Atlanta before. I thought it would be a lot of fun. And since then, I've come down almost every year. I've had some years where I haven't come, but I've come to Atlanta pretty frequently. And for a long time, it was God awfully boring to me down here. (laughs) I was like, I don't know how people do it. God, it's so slow until I realized that whenever I would come down to visit different people, they would only show me what they did. So whatever their day-to-day life was for Atlanta is what they would do. So I was never introduced to a lot of the uh, the other, th- the more touristy things, you know. I was introduced to their life and their day-to-day activities. And their day-to-day activities bored me. So I always looked at Atlanta like, eh, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's way too slow for me. I need something a little bit more uh I'm I'm from the Northeast, you know, so we have a bunch of cities that are all right next to each other. If you tire of Baltimore, you head on over to D.C. If you're tired of D.C., you head over to Philly. If you're tired of Philly, you head to New York. Like, we had options, you know. So I would come down here, and I'm like, well, where the hell, hell else am I supposed to go? <laughs> there's, there's only Atlanta. Uh, so for a long time, I would say I would come here to visit, but I couldn't live. But I always knew there was something so amazing to me about all the blackness. I loved how black it was. And I also loved that when I came down here, people were really nice and I enjoyed that. So uh, during the course of the two years of me living back in Baltimore, I realized that there was a thriving yoga community going on, going on here and not just yoga, but black yogis and yoginis. And it was amazing, you know? So I was like, I really want to be a part of this. I knew several of them who already lived here. Uh, A handful of them actually were really good friends. And so when I came down here for my birthday in 2016, I shared with one of them that I'd planned to move here. So I took one of his classes on my birthday and he shared with me, you know, there's more than enough room for you, you know, 
Uh, you don't have to worry about it. There are lots of teachers down here, true, but there are also lots of people. So you will do just fine. I'm really happy about you coming down here and you'll be welcome with open arms. His words. So, and I'll never forget it because it made me feel really good. I mean, it made me feel good because in my mind, I was like, is there enough room? You know, if I come down here, will it be like me fighting to hopefully not take away clients from other people? And so I put everything into motion. You know, this was November where I made my decision. Well, I'd made my decision prior to that, but it kind of solidified after my journey down here for my birthday. And so the goal was to move down here April of the next year. So I go through the process, looking for jobs, looking for places to stay, all that good stuff. And I find a great job. So I was like, okay, we're going to make this work. So I'm preparing. I'm like, okay, you know, one of my friends told me, you know, instead of you attempting to go through all of the issues of uh, coming down here and trying to see the place, having to fly back up, whatever, why don't you just come crash at my place? You'll have a job and then crash at my place. And then from that job, you'll be able to get the apartment. So I was like, okay, cool. So I already had my eye on exactly what apartment I wanted. Figure I'll come down here, a couple of checks pile it up and then I'll be all good. So because I already had money that was saved over, but I was like, okay, well, let's be smart about this. Since he's offering you to be able to crash at his place, then the money you were going to use to immediately get the apartment, why not just save up even more so you'll really be good? So I was like, all right, that's all good. So I prepare to move down here and weeks before it's time for me to move, the job falls through. And I'm, and it, it's funny because it ends up being my journey of Atlanta. Like in the Northeast, I solidified a job. That's it. It's done. Down here, my God, like <laughs> I feel like nothing's ever certain until you literally have, <laughs> you're, you're sitting down at your desk. <laughs> like, okay, now I'm here. And even then it's like, am I sure? But, uh, but yeah, so that fell through. But I was thankful that I at least had a place to stay. And in my head, of course, you know, living in Jersey, living in New York, in Baltimore, I'm like, a job will be no problem. You know, like there, it, I never had an issue. Even in New York, I never had an issue with finding employment. So the next part was moving down here and how nothing went as planned. So I made the move. And once I made the move down here, it was like, okay, well, it's time to start looking for jobs again. So I began looking for jobs and... I start initially up where I was, you know, so I, I understood that the cost of living is different here. So I won't make exactly what I was making up there, but it doesn't mean you can't at least attempt. So I start, you know, looking for jobs, paying what I was making up there. When I saw that wasn't going to happen. OK, well, go back a bit. See if you can go a little lower. Misfits. In my first year of living here, I got to the point and this is with all due respect to those who are working in retail. I used to work in retail too. So this is no knock towards anyone working in retail. This is someone coming from where I was working before I moved here and what I consider myself having to lower down to. So please don't take this the wrong way when I say this. But it reached a point where I was attempting to become a manager in a retail store. And that was so far removed from where I'd made it in my career. <laughs> so far removed. But I was like, well, this is where I am now, you know, and this is what I'm going to have to take. At least it's money, you know, and in a management position, I may still be able to get an apartment smaller, but an apartment all the same. I couldn't even get that. And that's when we reached the next part, which was for me, the power of depression. Now, on the outside, it was like, OK, it's really difficult for me to find a job. 
However, two of the bright spots were I still had a roof over my head and I was still teaching yoga, yoga, meditation, life coaching. It was keeping money in my pocket and keeping all of my bills paid. Real talk. All of my bills that I brought with me from Maryland that I still had to pay on a monthly basis, a lot of my bills are actually uh, taken out automatically. And I know a lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people don't believe in that for those exact reasons. Like you never know what's going to happen and you're not just going to be taking my money out. But no, that is how yoga showed up for me. That is how wellness showed up for me. That even in the entire time that I was unemployed as far as a nine to five, my passion continued to keep me on my feet. And this is why I tell people that my love for yoga, my love for wellness, I can't even begin to put into words, you know, because it never let me down. It never let me down. Out of all that I went through, especially as far as depression, I always had my purpose to be able to lean on. Uh, But anyway, the way that depression shows up. So because of those things, I'm thinking everything is okay. You know, sitting in the house, watching TV, you know, doing other work, doing things on social media and everything, making sure I'm promoting my brand. And one day I just turned around and realized like, dude, you are depressed. Like really depressed. And it was no joke, you know, from 2017, what was it? April of 2017 until July of 2018, I was without a job. And during the course of that time, it really hit me, you know, like not only did I not have benefits anymore, but I was just scraping by with enough money to be able to make sure I pay my bills in regular day to day living, you know, like it was it was blowing my mind. Like I was able to give money to, you know, whichever friend I was staying with at the time so that it wasn't like I was just taking advantage of them. I was, I was able to pay my bills. I was able to get food, you know? So I give thanks that I was never without money, without money. But I mean, I still didn't have a regular, I could, could absolutely not live on my own. You know, I didn't have money to get a vehicle. I didn't have benefits. You know, I didn't have money. Like I'm going to travel here. I'm going to travel there. didn't have that kind of money. It was enough money to just have my basic needs meant daily. And it hit me one day like, because another thing was it didn't show up with my body. I was working out more unemployed than once I got a job. <laughs> like, no, I was in, I felt like I was in better shape then than I am now. If I'm being completely transparent with you all. But it was something on the inside. Remember earlier how I mentioned the whole idea of being satisfied? I felt really satisfied. I looked around one day and was just like, your life, this sitting on the couch life, even with me going to the gym and everything, it was still, it still felt very much like you're not doing more. You know, you're not happy. You're not happy. And once I finally acknowledged it, and I guess, you know, depression felt like it was able to drop its clothing. And it would be like, okay, here I am. And once I realized that it was depression that I was suffering from, for some reason, everything else became clear to me. And I looked at my credit score. And, you know, earlier I mentioned when I was in Maryland, before I moved down here, my credit was stellar, absolutely stellar. I'll never forget going on Facebook and talking about how proud I was of my credit and how I wanted to help others as well. While living in New York, I had mastered being able to 
properly save money in managing my bills. Now, I was someone who in my early 20s, no, in my, yeah, in my late 20s, early 30s was actually really bad with money. Um, I had been bad with it for a really long time. My mother was so disappointed, you know. Um, but once I moved to New York in my early 30s, all of that changed. And I became a unbelievable steward of my finances. And so when I moved back to Maryland, that's when I reached the point of I had so much money that I didn't even have to look at my bank account anymore. I knew my bills were going to be paid on time no matter what. My credit score had reached a point where it had never been. You know, I'm getting offered credit cards out of out of everywhere. Here, this credit card, that credit card. Um, I got my first credit card that I'd had in, I felt like, almost a decade. And when I'd gotten that credit card, I was making payments so far ahead that when they upped my uh, my credit, the amount of money that I was able to get, it, it made me fall back. <laughs> like, what? Like, did not see that coming. I was like, wow, you trust me that much. Okay. And so... You put that against where I was once I realized I was in, I was depre- I was depressed, and when I went back to look at my finances and when I looked at my credit score, my credit score had plummeted. I honestly didn't remember anymore when it had been that low. No clue, no clue. I looked at that and I was embarrassed. You know, I was really, really embarrassed, and I had a talk with Kevin. And I shared that with him. You know, I was very honest about where my credit score was. And this is kind of getting into the next part, which is uh, my friends who never gave up on me. I have little bullet points that I'm looking at. (laughs) So this is kind of a great, a great introduction to that part. So Kevin shared with me that that was out of my hands. You know, he said, you can't allow yourself to stress about that because you can't help that. You're out here busting your ass to find a job, you know. You can't help the fact that your credit score is going down. But the good thing is, is knowing that it can go back up. So focus on that. Focus on the fact that you can bring your credit score back up again. And I I never forgot that he said that because that was such a beautiful way to show up for a friend to me, you know. And so often I found myself pouring into other people. And the entire time that I've been in Atlanta, I've had such wonderful amazing people pour into me, my God. So I want to take this moment just to give thanks to those people. Um, I want to say thank you to Kevin. I want to say thank you to Kevin because he has been a consistent friend to me the entire time. I have lost a lot of people, uh, friendships or, you know, they've left this realm of existence. Uh, but He has remained and he has been consistent and I will be forever grateful for that. He played a huge part in me being able to thrive over the last two years. His consistency, his consistency, I can't stress enough, his consistency, something that seems so very rare with people these days, but yet he excelled in it beautifully. Thank you, Kevin. I'll be forever grateful to your consistency and your friendship. It means the world. Now to those who allowed a brother to be able to crash in their home. <laughs> First, Elliot. Uh, Elliot and I switched places. He went from living down here and me living in the DMV to him living in the DMV and me living down here. Uh, thank you, Elliot. 
Thank you for being the first person to take me in. You nor I had any idea that I would be staying with you for as long as I did. <laughs> we both assumed I would come there here and the job would immediately be right there. Uh, thank you for being okay with that. Thank you for not only allowing me to crash on your couch, but when it was time for you to transition into your next chapter and you knew that you had months still left on your lease, you allowed me to live in your apartment when you didn't even live in Atlanta anymore until your lease was up. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for trusting that I would still take care of your home and all of your possessions while you were gone. Uh, And just for the friendship and giving a shit. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, To Mike, who you all have heard on the podcast quite a bit. To Mike, thank you. Thank you for once it was time for the lease to be up in Chambly and I still didn't have a home. You opened your arms in Stone Mountain and welcomed me in. Thank you for being another friend who informed me verbally that you could see that I was doing the work to get a job, that you could see that I was doing my absolute best and it wasn't my fault that nothing was happening, you know. Thank you for allowing me to once again crash on your couch <laughs> and kind of cramp your style a bit for the life that you had gotten accustomed to living. It, it means the world. You showed up then, you show up now. You know, before I got a car, whenever you would go out of town, I'm the person you would give your car to because you wanted to make it. Not only did you want somebody who you could trust watching your car, but you wanted to just make life a little easier for me so that I could get around without having to spend so much money on Uber and Lyft. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that you trusted me with your baby, you know. Um, Thank you. And lastly... Thank you to Kaya, to my best friend. Uh, when I was in Stone Mountain, Kaya moved here about nine months after I lived, after I'd moved here. And he looked at me and another one of our friends who was moving from Baltimore. And he was like, instead of the two of you, you know, struggling to be able to find a place, I'm buying this huge house. Why don't you all just move in with me? You know? And he's like, Raven, you're going to find a job while you're here with me. You know, know that that's going to happen. And it did. And while living with him, I ended up finding my dream job. And I'm forever grateful for how God worked that out. With him, you know, excuse me, God, he, she, (laughs) the universe. uh, Making such a way for me to be able to have one of my closest friends move to Atlanta and providing me with an opportunity no more couch, <laughs> no more couch, you know, uh, I have an entire part of the house all to myself. Uh, and the three of us have lived here together for over a year now. And I'm grateful. I'll soon be moving on to a new chapter of my uh, living here in Atlanta. And I am thankful. I am thankful to Kaya for being able to show up for me. And I pray that I've been able to show up for him in lots of other ways as well uh, through different wellness work that we've done that I pray has helped in a healing process for him. We have definitely both been through a whole lot this year, a whole lot of death. He and I have both lost very, very important people in our lives over this last year, and it has not been easy. I was with him during the day when he found out the news of his father passing he was with me when i found out about the death of my grandmother 
So I am thankful that both of us were not alone when we received that news. And only the universe could have planned it in such a way that we would have been here for one another for it to happen. So I'm thankful for that. So we move on to the job. So the universe showed up yet again. And there was a sister who was friends with Elliot. And I ended up meeting her at during a birthday celebration weekend for Elliot. She and I met and we had one conversation about me not having a job. And she informed me that she would keep that in mind. Several months later, she hit me up about a position. And when she attempted to get it for me, unfortunately, somebody else had already taken it. So I was like, okay, that's cool. So all of this time goes by. So she meets me in May. So that was one month after. As a matter of fact, less, no, exactly one month, almost exactly one month after I'd moved to Atlanta, she met me. And it wasn't until almost one year later that she came back to me again and said, I have another position for you. Would you like to go for it? And I'm looking at her like, you remembered me? Like, like we were friends on social media, you know? And I guess what she saw of me played a big part in why she thought I would be great for the position because she saw that I was consistent, love, light, that I was very big on wellness. So she was like, yeah, I didn't forget you. So you want the interview or not? And I was like, yeah. And I ended up getting an interview for my current position with a nonprofit organization working with uh, kids in an ILP program, independent living, who are battling mental illness and we're helping to get them on their feet with hopes that they'll be able to eventually live on their own. And it has been a dream. It's also been uh, <laughs> an experience of high anxiety and depression working there as well. But I feel like that's an entirely different episode of the podcast. But it's also been a blessing. Uh, the As I've told people for many, many years, the human mind is unbelievably intriguing to me. And I love to study it. So being able to learn so much more about mental health while being a part of this organization has meant the world to me. Learning so, so much more and learning these kids and connecting with them and being able to do my best to pour light into them after so many of them have had so many dark experiences. Their pasts are just filled with so many horrible moments. And there's a possibility that each of us can possibly just bring some light and love and hope into each of their lives. That means the world it means the world and it makes up for almost going an entire year unemployed. It makes up for it. Just being able to wake up every morning and go into this place and feel like I'm making a positive difference in somebody's life means the world to me. It really does. And this is the point in my story where I want to tell everyone who's listening, each person in the Misfit universe, that what I decided when I moved here and things didn't go as planned, was to say, fuck fear. Absolutely, fuck fear. Because if I would have decided before I made this move that who knows if it was going to work or not, who knows what my life would have been like in Baltimore? Me for myself, it could have been very successful from the outside looking in, but on the inside, I would have felt like I was stuck. Like nothing was changing. Like I was doing the same routine over and over again. When I moved here, I could have become afraid. 
I could have let fear take over and I could have moved back to Maryland or moved someplace that would have given me a, a higher paying job much quicker, you know? But my thing is, is that I made a decision and I saw something in Atlanta and I knew that I wanted to be here. And if I made the decision to be scared, I wouldn't have ended up at the job that I am right now. Working in my literal purpose. If I would have let fear take over. Going all the way back to when I first started coming to Atlanta, I have friends who even back then had come down here for school and it beca- it became too overwhelming for them and they moved back. I had friends who after they left school attempted to stay down here in Atlanta. They couldn't make it. They moved back. I had friends who just wanted to have a change in their life, moved down to Atlanta, couldn't cut it, moved back. I know far more people who didn't succeed in Atlanta than I do in New York. The majority of my friends who moved to New York, I would venture to say 85 to 90% of my friends who moved to New York stay there. I would say less than half of the people I know who moved from the Northeast to Atlanta still live here that I know personally. It, it, is, it is a very different beast. A very, very different beast that doesn't operate anywhere near like I thought it would. Not at all. But it made me want it more because I do not give in. And it goes back to what my father was saying, what touched me so much about how I pretty much said fuck fear. And that's how I live my life, you know? I don't like being defeated. And when I do, it better be a good-ass lesson that I learned from it. I'm huge on lessons. <laughs> so I don't feel, I don't fear quote-unquote failure because there are amazing lessons that come from it. However, with this, I, I can't even begin to say what lesson I would have had to learn if I would have had to move back. No. No. I let people know if I needed to, I would have slept in a car, honestly. And at that point, I didn't have a vehicle like I do now. <laughs> now I have a big vehicle, so I could sleep in the back of my car and be perfectly fine. <laughs> but no, it, it wasn't an option. It wasn't an option, and I feel like the universe knew it wasn't an option. So it continuously brought people into my life who kept me on that path because everyone knew that this was not an option for me to leave. And because of that, I'm still here. I have one piece left, and that's getting my own place. That is the last piece left in this puzzle. And I feel like once I'm able to put that piece of the puzzle in, I can only imagine what the rest of my time in Atlanta is going to look like. I'm fighting, and I refuse to give in. So this is for anyone, no matter where you are in the world, listening to this. I'm in year two. I don't know what, well, I guess I'm beginning the journey of year three, right? Um, (laughs) I don't know what the universe has in store for me for the remainder of my time in Atlanta. All I know is that I plan to live the life that I see for myself while I'm here. Absolutely. And I have so much more work to do before I leave. I don't know where I would move to next. All I know is I don't see it happening soon. I have a lot that I need to take care of here in Atlanta. I have so much further to rise. And I am not going to let fear ever cripple me. 
And if I can speak this, if I can pour this into anyone who's listening, don't let it do it to you either. I understand that not everyone believes in having faith. I know that a lot of people don't operate out of that. Trust yourself in that instance. Trust yourself and trust that if you make a decision that you're going to do something, move in it. I'm a planner. I planned this out perfectly, my move. I had everything. This is exactly how it's going to go. And nothing went as planned. So just understand that you have to have faith in you, if not in anything else. Have faith in you that you'll make it. Have faith in you that you won't give up. Have faith in you that you'll do from a legal point of view anyway. <laughs> don't. I pray you don't be illegal about it, but no judgment. Um, what you need to do to make sure that you can survive and that you can thrive. May you all be blessed with people who show up for you the way that people have shown up for me. All I can think about are the people who moved to Baltimore who needed to change their life and I took them in. And it literally just hit me just now. I give thanks to the universe because it saw me. It saw the energy that I put out into the world, allowing people to crash in my home because all they wanted was a fresh start to escape whatever city they lived in and I took them in. And I guess this was the universe saying back to me for all that you've done for others. Now, and, and this is the reason why I'm saying it, it hadn't even hit me. Like, like I was just living, you know, I was like, I just wanted to do that for those people. Because in my mind, I'm like, I can only imagine what a fresh start is going to feel like for you. Because I love them. I love me a change. I love me an evolution. I love me a new chapter. I love me a new chapter. And that's what I wanted for them. And for so many people down here to show up for me as well, let's keep that energy flowing, you know? So if you're listening to this, I pray that whatever decision you're making in your life that you want to leap out on, I pray that people show up for you too. And if at the very least you show up for yourself and you don't give up on you, whatever you need to do, make that shit work. Fuck fear. Do not let fear hold you back. Don't. There is something amazing on the other side of your fear. I'm going to say that again. There is something amazing on the other side of your fear. This, I promise you, and I don't promise lightly, in anything that I feared in my life, there has been something phenomenal on the opposite side of it. Push through. Push through. For those who are more faith-based, you know about those blessings. And you know what they look like on the other side of when you get past whatever it is you're battling. It's powerful. And it's all worth it in the end. I have been through so much pain since moving here. So much unimaginable pain. I have felt so broken. And I realized that I wasn't. You know? I've been lifted the entire time that I've been here. I just started to lose sight. That's all. I began to lose sight, but I was always set back on my path and quickly because the universe knew that I wasn't going to give in. In the deepest of my depression, I felt so alone, but I knew I wasn't giving up. There was never a point where I was moving back to Baltimore. Never. And you can ask any of my friends who live here. 
There was never a point of me. I don't know what I was going to do. I don't know where I was going to live. I don't know what street corner you was going to find me on. There was no going back. So for you misfits who are listening to this, decide something and decide it. Be solid about it. Make a decision that there is nothing that is going to move you. That this is going to happen one way or another. And stick to that. I pray that somebody hears this and that it helps and that it heals. I pray that what I'm saying can move you forward in case you had any fear at all. I ask that you stare fear directly in the face and say F you. Because you have the victory. And now it is time for good news. Okay, so as I told you guys on the last episode, good news is going to pretty much look different every time we do it. Because there's so many things that can fit into good news. And I got kind of tired of trying to, you know, decide that it's going to be this one thing every single time we do it. So what I wanted to introduce this week was uh, the Pay It Forward movement. Now, for those of you who are familiar with uh, Revolution, And some of the things that we've done with Revolution, you remember our open mic storytellers. And at Storytellers, we actually did an episode celebrating the uh, anniversary of Storytellers. But we talked about something called the Pay It Forward movement. And so I want to put that out to you guys. If anybody wants to participate, I'd like for you guys to send in uh, your messages. This can either be on social media. You can email it to me, you know, DM me, put it under notifications, whatever you want to do. But just let me know in what way you paid it forward to somebody. And as we did at the Storytellers Open Mic, all we ask is that you ask that person to pay it forward as well. You don't have to tell them, you know, how to pay it forward. It doesn't even have to be the same way you do for them. So uh, one of my co-hosts, Quill, would always say that something he would do is he would go to a drive-thru and he would find out whatever the person behind him had ordered and he would pay for them. And that was his way of paying it forward. You know, and of course, for that person, he can't tell them behind him. So he could, you know, say to the person at the window, just let them know that all I ask is they pay it forward to somebody else. Who knows? For all we know, that person could pay for the person behind them. Wouldn't that be awesome? Um, But anyway, so, yeah, if you guys uh, would like to join in on the pay it forward movement, that's all you have to do. Go out there and do something good. It could be something major. I mean, you could, I don't know, pay somebody's bills for them. I don't know. Um, You could help somebody to carry their groceries to their car. There are any number of things that you can do. Uh, Things don't have to to be physical either, you know. Uh, It could be a situation where it's somebody online that you make a post about uh, putting out good that they're doing in the world or just letting somebody know that they're appreciated. As I always say to you guys, it's so important for us to let one another know that we're seen, that we see you, you know? So it's as simple as letting somebody know that they're seen. You're paying it forward in that way as well. So for me, the one that I'm going to use for this week is for one of my young adults. So I ended up having to take them to a job interview. They were supposed to be taken by somebody else, but they weren't able to take them. So they contacted me and asked if I could take the young adult. And I said, of course I can. So I took them on a job interview and we get to the interview. They go in, you know, I speak with the manager of the establishment and everything and let them know that I'm going to stay there for the duration of the interview. I'll just go sit in a different space. So I went and I sat down, you know, all on my phone and all that good stuff. 
And so there's a point where it looks like the young adult's kind of nervous. So I'm like, okay. So at a point where it's kind of, you know, a break in between the interview, I go outside with the manager and I hold a conversation with him. And the manager and I are talking about what I believe the young adult is capable of. Now, again, keep in mind, I told you where I work. So I shared with them where they, where I believe they are mentally from what it is that we have in their charts and everything and what I think they will be capable of doing at this job. And I'm like, I believe they're completely capable of doing this specific thing. Please don't deny them an opportunity to do this because you're under the impression that maybe they're attempting to get a job for this. They just want a job, you know? So it doesn't really matter what it is you give them to do. They just want an opportunity to make money and be independent. So in saying this, this opened up the manager's eyes a lot. And they were like, okay. And sure enough, I got the kid the job. And it was based off of me making sure that I showed up for them to advocate for them as well. And they got the job. Now, the kid has no idea I had this conversation. They saw us go walk outside, but they don't know what the conversation was about, you know? And I know they don't because when we got back to campus, someone asked them what their job was going to be. And they did not say the job I got them. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah, they have no idea what took place outside. Uh, But yeah. So that was my way of paying it forward, paying good energy forward because I believed in this kid, you know, Um, in that instance, of course, I couldn't share with them what it was that I did. So I couldn't ask for them to pay it forward as well. But I guess I could have always asked the manager. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. (laughs) Okay, I'll keep that in mind for next time. But yeah, so that was my pay it forward. Again, I hope that you guys want to be a part of it. And even if you decide you don't want to share it with me, go out there. The the universe is waiting. It doesn't have to be something where you send it back to, to me to share on the podcast. Just do something good for someone. Absolutely. Spread that love. So... Uh, If you guys would like to walk with us over social media, that would be THSpodcast.com. That's our official website. Uh, THS Podcast on Facebook, THS Podcast on Instagram, and underscore THS Podcast on Twitter. Uh, Make sure you guys are hitting us up all over the place. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, We are on all types of platforms. We're all over the place. Um, (laughs) These days, I'm promoting us a lot via SoundCloud, via Apple Podcast, and via Overcast. We are, listen, I Googled us the other day, and we're on more podcast platforms than I even realized. Like, I'm realizing that if you put your podcast on certain platforms, those platforms are connected to other podcast apps or websites and so your information is immediately transferred over so while we may tell you that we're on like let's say 10 different platforms we're on so many more (laughs) i thought that was so cool when i googled the healing space i was like well that's what's up that's awesome uh yeah if you like to walk with me anywhere on social media that's scorpiogi across all platforms that's scorpiogi and uh yeah that's if you want if you live here in atlanta or you know last week oh, i want to talk about that i told on the mountain last week really quick misfits uh i started the new season of yoga on the mountain revolutionary yoga at the top of stone mountain and i actually had one of my students come from either i think either the top of georgia or south carolina one of the two but they came here and i really appreciated the fact that i think they said they drove like two hours 
just to experience the climb and it was a great class an amazing class i teach on top of stone mountain it's going to be two weeks every month so the season just started last week and we're going to go all the way until i think like around october but I say all of that to say that if you're in the Atlanta area or willing to travel from some around uh, surrounding state or city, then you're more than welcome to do a one on one class with me. Uh, soon I'll also be teaching in a city here in Atlanta and I'm going to well, city here in Georgia. I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> I'm not going to mention anymore until everything is solidified. But yeah, you can contact me about that. I also teach online, which means that I can teach you wherever you are in the world. I have several students who I teach online. And I have not, you know, not pumping myself up too much, think that I'm very good with being able to teach online. <laughs> so you can also contact me about those rates as well. Again, that's Scorpiogi. Or you can email me for uh, the podcast. That's THS at revolutionmultimedia.com. For yoga, it's love at revolutionmultimedia.com. And I think that's it. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, as I said during the uh, during the story of my journey here, I pray that something that I said could inspire you to make that move that maybe you were too afraid to make before listening. Trust yourself. Believe in yourself. Show up for yourself. And until next time, I love you all so much. Namaste. Namaste.